Um, this morning, I was, uh, my oldest daughter, Georgia, was up making pancakes because, you know, you hit that sweet spot when you have kids. When they, at some point, they just start making pancakes. And you're like, I, I thought I had to help you put your clothes on, but here you are making pancakes. And that happens real fast. And um, just to be clear, she doesn't need help with getting her clothes on. She's perfectly capable of that. But uh, I asked her this morning as I was thinking about uh, this passage, I said, when, when's the time that you really felt at home? Or when, is t- when are times that you really feel that you are at home? And she mentioned sometimes when there's a thunderstorm and it's dark and raining and lightning, uh, how good it is to be inside the house, you know, where it's warm and the lights are on. But then she also mentioned coming back from trips and what it's like to, to come back from a trip and to enter back into our, our house. We recently took a trip to Pennsylvania for Thanksgiving, and just that feeling of when you return home, uh, how good it is to be back in your house and to see your dog and to sleep in your bed. And I imagined Georgia on the long car ride back from Pennsylvania, just looking forward to getting home and just knowing how good it was gonna feel to be home. And this, uh, this book of Revelation, this letter, is a vision that a man named John had. John who was one of Jesus' closest friends. At this point, he's an old man. And he has this vision in Revelation for Christians who were being persecuted. And when I say persecuted, I don't mean like they were losing their jobs. I mean they were being impaled on poles and dipped in tar and lit on fire. Um, the, the Roman emperor at this time... Um, was, was so um, antagonistic toward this young upstart religion that he would say, do you want to be like your Lord Christ? Fine. And he would crucify Christians by the hundreds. And John has this vision, and he sees God in heaven. And this is a vision that he says is of a home that's worth enduring hardship for. And so this is a vision of heaven for people who are afraid of what's coming in the future. So, if that's you, if you're nervous about what lies ahead in your life, take a listen. This is from Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 3. This is the word of the living God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son, saying, just continue on through these things to me. And this is the part I really want to focus in on here. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would be with us now as we spend this short time in your word. Lord, that you would give us a great longing uh, to be with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, yesterday I was listening to a podcast about Ayn Rand. And you might know who Ayn Rand was or you might not. She was a writer, a political thinker. Her books, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, are two of the most influential books in American society. And um, part of what was interesting in listening to her story and some of her diaries is um, that Ayn Rand was really repulsed by the idea of God and especially by the idea of heaven, that people would wait and suffer in this life for a hope of what might come next. And there was this part in her diaries where she was saying, imagine a heaven and don't wait for it. Demand it now. She was saying, don't, there's no heaven that's going to come. You have to, to dream of your heaven and make it happen right now. What John is saying in, this, in, in the book of Revelation is wait for God's heaven and endure through the pain of this life because what God is offering is better than what we could ever imagine. And the choice, really, between our heaven and God's heaven is always before us. We either make our heaven now or press toward God's heaven and uh, I want to simply focus on two things from this passage um, that should draw our hearts toward waiting for God's heaven. Because God is promising things that we can scarcely even imagine, much less make happen for ourselves. And the first thing is there in, in chapter 22, verse 3, where John writes that in heaven no longer will there be anything accursed. Hey now. Uh, in the Bible's future, heaven and earth join together as one forever. Earth is the place where we live, the physical realm that we understand. And heaven, according to the Bible, is the place where God is, the spiritual realm. And you know now, whether um, you're a Christian or not, that there are things that we see and can experience physically, and then there are things that are, we would call them spiritual or mystical, that are beyond our sight, they're beyond our understanding. It's like there's a veil between heaven and earth now. But what, what John is saying is that in that day when Jesus returns, that veil will be removed and heaven and earth will become one. Where God lives and where we live will become the same place. And we will be real, eternal, embodied humans living with God forever. And that's why he mentions the throne being in this new heavens and new earth. Where God exists is where his throne is. The problem with being near God and his throne is that pretty much in the Bible, every time somebody even has a vision of seeing God on his throne, they basically melt and disintegrate and fall apart. Um, maybe you remember Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
Um, but the guy goes to open the Ark of the Covenant, and he literally melts, and it's like, if you watch that as a child, you'll never forget it for the rest of your life. Um, it's actually pretty spot on. The Ark of the Covenant was God's throne on the earth in the tabernacle and in the temple. And so to approach that throne and for God's presence to come down to it literally melts people. The prophet Isaiah had a vision that he was in God's throne room, and he screamed, Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Everyone falls on their face. They don't know what to do. And that's because Isaiah, when he came into God's presence, and the guy from Raiders of the Lost Ark, when he comes into the presence, they carry a curse on them. The curse of sin. And all of us actually carry this curse in us into God's presence. So that when we enter his presence, we know that we can't stand. And that's because God is pure. This is maybe not something that we dwell on enough. God is pure. He is a pure love. He is a complete justice. He is a pure beauty. And so anything that comes into his presence with this curse, this weight of sin, can't stand before him. But we long for God to be pure, for his love to be complete, uh, because we know ours so often isn't. We can't go into God's presence with this curse. I got a picture of this early on in COVID, in like April. Um, my wife had a medical emergency, and I had to take her to the emergency room, which you never want to do. And uh, pulled up. It was right when COVID was getting started, you know, early COVID, the old stuff, like those original COVID records that were really uh, raw. And um, I took her to the ER, and uh, she wasn't doing well, so I jumped out of the car to help her out. And the person in a hazmat suit basically put me back into the car and shut the door, and they said, you can't come out. You cannot come into the hospital. Only she can come in the hospital. You must stay out here. And what that person was saying was, this is a place of healing. She needs healing. If you come in here, you might carry the disease into the house of healing, so you can't come in. The infection can't come in. And it, it might sound dramatic to say that humans are cursed, that we carry a curse in us. But he, here's what that curse can, can look like. Um, we get actually so used to living life the way that the Scripture tells us life works that we start to miss it. Um, one, one way that we feel the curse is that joy always has breaks on it. I mean, think about something that you really, really enjoyed. Um, something to eat, an experience that you have. There is always a yeah, but when it comes to our enjoyment. Um, I recently tried the crispy chicken skins at Mr. Barbecue on Peters Creek Parkway, and I would encourage them, encourage you to try them as well. Um, it doesn't take a lot to see that there's a yeah, but on eating crispy chicken skins from Mr. Barbecue. You may enjoy them, but there's going to be a price to pay. Um, don't even think about the chicken and what it took to get there. Um, or a chili dog at PB's, same thing. Um, I think about this when I get gifts in the mail. Like if a gift comes from Amazon in the mail, this amazing, beautiful gift. Wow, so thoughtful. 
until I start thinking of what it took for the people who either manufactured this gift or packed the gift at the Amazon headquarters, and then there's breaks on my joy. Um, or maybe you're getting uh, fresh produce off the shelf at the grocery store, and you're like, wow, this is beautiful. And then you think, what was it like for the people that had to actually grow and pick this produce? Pretty much everything that we enjoy, there's some, so there's some yeah, but to it. And that yeah, but is the reality of the curse, of what we call sin, of brokenness in the world. And we can either choose to be naive about it and say it's not that big of a deal and therefore not live in reality. Or we can just lower our expectations and say, well, joy is just never that enjoyable. But God's calling us to the full enjoying of something. So joy always has breaks on it. But also, I feel the curse in me, and maybe you do too, when I realize how dang hard it is for me to want what is right and good and beautiful. Um, I can't seem to shake the selfishness and pride in me long enough to actually love well. My daughter asked me what's my favorite day of the week, and I said Saturday because I get to be with y'all. But it's also my least favorite day of the week because that's the day I realize more than the others how much of a jerk I can be. And I just wonder if you also find it really hard to want and to desire that which is right and good and beautiful. And that's what the Scripture calls sin, and it hangs on us like a weighted blanket. But what John is showing in this passage is that in heaven, in that day, there will be nothing that is cursed, nothing that carries the curse of sin. Yet there's also people there. So how is it the case that there are people in God's presence, but there's nothing accursed? That's because in chapter 5 of Revelation, before that throne, there's a lamb. And it's a lamb that's been slain, yet lives. In, the, in the, the book of Galatians, chapter 3, Paul writes that Christ has become a curse for us because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus took a curse for us. He is the one who is the lamb who was slain for us that in this beautiful image in Revelation, people come and they wash their robes that have been weighing them down with the curse. They wash their robes, uh, not in his good vibes, but in his blood shed for us. God himself became a curse for us because he's the only one who can do something like that to remove a curse from us. Um, Ted Lasso is right about many things. If you've watched the show, you would likely, under, uh, likely agree. On a recent episode that we watched, I was struck because uh, they're talking about heaven. And he says, I used to think people that did good things went to heaven and people who did bad things went to hell. But then I got older and realized that we all do both all the time. And I was like, correct. Yes. Everyone is the same. There's no good people coming into God's presence because they were really sincere and they really tried hard, and then bad people that just didn't try hard enough or were lazy or did the things that we don't do, they don't get in. There's all one kind of people. No one gets into God's pure space. Doesn't matter how sincere we are, because this isn't about earning a plaque 
that says well done. It's about being in God's presence. You either wash it away by the blood of the Lamb or you handle removing the curse yourself. But here's what happens when you do wash your robes in the blood of the Lamb and you enter this space with God with all of the curse removed. This is kind of like imagining life after COVID. What's it going to be like? It means that your joy is never diminished. There's no yeah, but on the things that you enjoy. It means you eat food without fear or without regret. That you enter into the joy of a family without trauma. No unfair expectations or kids caught in the middle or antidepressants or death. Because isn't that the last thing that reminds us that puts the full brakes on joy, it's always going to come to an end, but not in that day. The full enjoying of God forever with no breaks. Also, without a curse, you will desire what is right and good and beautiful every single time. Can you imagine how comfortable you could be in your own skin if you knew that the thing you wanted was the most beautiful and right and good thing you could have. That means that you will be able to exercise your creative potential without disappointment or complication because that weighted blanket will no longer cling to your every motive because nothing will be accursed there. But the better news even that nothing accursed will be there is that when you get there, you will see God's face. If you look in verse 4, 22, they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, will be marked by him. Uh, problem is, seeing God's face is another one of those things that melts people, and so you want to avoid it when possible. Um, I once, once in my child's lifetime have shaved my facial hair, and um, I am not allowed to do it again, per my wife's uh, orders. Um, my face is apparently very upsetting. And um, because when my kid, I shaved and then they were waking up and I stood on the other side of the door and I said, can you hear my voice? And they said, yes. And I said, who is it? They said, it's daddy. And I said, well, you're not going to think it's daddy in a second. Uh, but just know it's me. And they cried when they saw me. Um, <laughs> my face was not welcome. Um, and so I've covered it up again of the beard of shame. And um, <clears throat> that's not true, the lovely beard. Um, and uh, God's face is not welcome for people mostly who have seen it. But in this place where we come without the curse of sin, we will actually behold God's face. The thing is, God doesn't have a face. God doesn't have a body. So what does it mean... When you think about enduring through this life to get somewhere, if you say, okay, I shouldn't just try to take what I want now, but I should wait upon the Lord for that great day, what is worth it? I, I don't know what it means to see God's face. But I do know that when you see someone's face, they show you who they are on their face. Think of every movie you've seen where someone's mask gets pulled off and then you realize, oh, it was you all along. God is going to show you his real self 
without anything in the way and allow you to behold him. Uh, kids, I don't know. I mean, it's been hard with COVID. I don't know how many people went to the fair. Hopefully you got to go to the fair. Um, but if you've, I don't know, kids, if you've ever been lost in a crowd like at the fair and you lose sight of your grown-up that you are with, it's very scary. Grown-ups, you probably remember that from being a kid. You start to panic, and you start to scan all the faces of everyone around you to look for your grown-up, and panic wells up inside of you, but till you see their face, and suddenly your body just goes, because you see their face. We live our lives on that panic edge of looking from face to 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 to say, are you the one? Each experience, each relationship, each job, each possession is another face that we scan in the crowd and our panic grows when we realize that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. And only when we see God's face, whatever that looks like, will our soul actually begin to exhale and say, I'm going to be okay. That is what our Lamb accomplished. Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain, took our curse so that we could look into the crowd and see God's face. Not a face that melts us or scares us, but a face that transfixes us, that catches us up in its beauty, in that pure love, that complete justice. Uh, There is a German word called Sinsucht, I have no idea how to say German words, so I'm very sorry if that was very incorrect. But you could define it as an inconsolable longing for we know not what. Uh, The idea of Sinsuk is central to a lot of C.S. Lewis's writings, if you've read them, about this longing for something, but you don't even know what it is that you're longing for. But you feel it anyway. And Lewis writes in The Weight of Glory how every amazing experience still leaves us longing And he says, for they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. God is the thing that we are longing for. The inconsolable longing for we know not what is answered only in the face of God. A face that looked up at his parents from a manger as an infant. And that's the thing, Ayn Rand couldn't know that the heaven that she was demanding on earth was so much smaller than what God offers each of us. Um, There's this, uh, is anyone familiar with the band Jane's Addiction? There's people that were here in the 90s. Okay, yep, all right, thank you. Thank you, I see that hand. Um, They have a great song uh, called Jane Says, and there's this line that always uh, just wrecks me in that song. And it says, uh, Jane says, I ain't never been in love. I don't know what it is. I only know if someone wants me. Uh, And that's us. We're like Jane. We don't even know yet what it means to be in love. We know how to get things from people, but we don't know yet. But God in that day will also see your face, and he will touch it. I know this sounds a little bit weird, but in, in chapter 21, verse 4, it says that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. 
Do you remember the last time someone wiped tears from your face? It's maybe the most intimate touch that there is. And that's what God promises when he sees our face. But again, God doesn't have hands, so how is he going to wipe away our tears? Um, Again, there's a lot more than we can know, but it means that God's going to heal a sorrow in you that only he can. I was listening to another preacher named Brian Habig preach on this, and he mentioned, if you've read The Lord of the Rings or seen the movies, Frodo was stabbed with a blade of Mordor. Remember that on Weathertop? Stabbed with a Nazgul blade. And that long after the events and everything that happens and Sauron is defeated, spoiler alert on the Lord of the Rings, um, that Frodo is back in the Shire and his home and everything is well, and yet he's still at times pale and looks far off. And when Sam asks him what's wrong, he says that he's feeling the pain from his wound. And Sam's like, I thought that your wound was healed. And he said, yeah, I I thought so too. Um, Some wounds heal, but they don't. And some of you know exactly what that blade of Mordor feels like. And what God is saying is that he will heal it. That he will wipe away those tears. Because he is forever our Emmanuel. God with us. Because that's what he wants. God wants to be near to you. The other night, it was a friend's birthday party, and we were having dinner together, a bunch of friends. And one friend that was at the other side of the table, it was this really, like, normal moment, but he sat at the other side of the table, and at the end of the meal, he came all the way around the table, and he came and sat down next to me, and he was like, hey, I didn't get to see you. And that was really small, but it was divine. Because he came to be near me. God wants to be near you. We don't know it yet, how much he wants to be near us. We know that God wants to be near us like someone who has never tasted honey knows that honey is sweet. We don't know, but don't you want to know? Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, um, just pray for our imaginations. Um, Lord, nothing else. We just, would you help us to, to find ourselves daydreaming today and through this week as we celebrate Christmas about what it would look like to look into your face and what it would look like to not carry a curse and what it would look like to feel your hand wiping away our tears. Lord, help us to know and to long for it. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.